a comment here from Josh that says Mission Impossible 2 makes me want to punch a dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. And you're questioning our journalistic integrity. No, I'm questioning your hearing. You hear reasonable and tortious interference. I hear potential Brown and Williamson lawsuit jeopardizing the sale of CBS to Westinghouse. I hear shut the segment down, cut Wigan loose, obey orders, and fuck off. That's what I hear. Hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? Welcome. Uh, uh, acknowledging the chat, looks like J.C. Davis is just absolutely ruling that thing. Or at least people named J.C. are ruling that thing. Yeah, there's another J.C. today. That's what yeah. we need. To, everybody change your username to J.C. so no one knows who anybody is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Recotopia episode 16. The uh, uh, big recommend today will be The Insider. Um uh but uh yeah i want uh my name is chris atkinson and i'm jeremy scott and every time we do that i think about incredible burt wonderstone yeah he goes i'm uh burt wonderstone and and steve buscemi goes and i'm anton marvelton (laughs) (laughs) um uh but uh hey yeah do you want to get into our small recommends it's no big deal it's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do. You want me to start? Theater, yeah, go ahead. I uh, did not know this documentary even existed. Mm. Uh, flipping channels a few days ago, I stumbled on a Showtime documentary called Cheryl, and it's about Cheryl Crow. Oh, and nice. I have always been a big Cheryl Crow fan. Mm-hmm. Um, her first record came out when I was in college, uh, and that was exactly the right sound at the right time for a college student she was incredibly popular with the whole campus as i remember it um this is one of those documentaries where she's sitting in a chair being interviewed probably for hours at a time and then we cut to all kinds of stock behind the scenes backstage footage uh, as she tells these stories um and i just enjoyed it i don't know that it's like an award-winning documentary Um, But I learned a few new things, like maybe this was bigger news at the time, but the internet wasn't so huge. But when Leaving Las Vegas was like a certified hit, Mm -hmm. she gave an interview where one of the things she said was that it was kind of autobiographical. And I guess technically she had co-written the song with her bandmates, and her bandmates weren't super happy with that. But also they had based it on a book called Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, really? And not long after this, the guy who wrote that book killed himself. No. And she breaks down Mm -hmm. uh, when she's remembering this. Now, the documentary doesn't say this, but when I went and Googled it, uh, the man's family has said it had nothing to do with her song, Mm -hmm. uh, which suggests to me there were well-known other underlying issues uh, that his family knew about. They wouldn't make that statement just to make her feel better. Mm -hmm. But even knowing that, I can imagine that that would crush a person. Mm -hmm. And so then that kind of casts the rest of her career in a new light for me, that that she was carrying that weight uh, as she moved forward creatively. I think if you're a Sheryl Crow fan or just a general big music fan, uh, this is a documentary to add to your list. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not very long. It's like an hour and a half. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So there you Lance, go. Cheryl on Showtime. I'm guessing Lance Armstrong comes up? Um, yes, briefly. Okay. Uh, it's much more about the music than uh, her personal life. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, uh, staying on some of the documentary uh, stuff, I watched, uh, one on Hulu, uh, called, um, too funny to fail about Ooh. the, the, uh, the Dana Carvey show, uh, <laughs> which is a show that I never watched. Uh, it, and, and I didn't have a chance to, if 
I may have vaguely and, and during because this came out in what ninety six I think is when the Dana Carvey show uh, was was made. Um, Sounds right. Uh, during that time, 1996, I was not watching very much TV. Even some of the shows that I was watching back then, I was I had stopped, like Seinfeld and uh, things like that. I would occasionally catch a new episode of one of those and whatever. So I was m- way more into movies in 1996 than I was into TV shows. But um, I think I remember saying, I think I'll give that a look sometime, but it was canceled after like eight, eight episodes. So, mm. um, so um but that was that was a you know a, a big story back then as dana carvey uh left saturday night live and wanted to create a new sketch show and uh he did it with robert smigel um and uh robert smigel they they hired some people who are like you know would become all timers uh when it when it uh, uh later on in life so like steve carell before he was anything stephen colbert wow um louis ck was a writer on the show um there was uh charlie kaufman was a writer on the show holy crap um so they have uh just a who's who of uh industry names before they were even named and i love that uh how the documentary goes into how they how they were picking these people because they go to of course they go to all the usual places where play, uh, people try to f- find funny people like second city and stuff like that so uh, at the time, in in, uh, in Second City, uh, Smigel had been hearing about this legendary performer named Steve Carell, but he wasn't there that night. And he said, "But the understudy was kicking ass that night, and it was Stephen <laughs> Colbert." And uh, and so like um, so like they they went through all this uh, uh, you know process. So they actually ended up getting them both, but it's so funny showing all this stuff they showed colbert's like audition which he has a newborn and he has a newborn in his audition and he's talking about all this stuff and he's like he's like come i really need this job and blah 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 blah. and stephen colbert like colbert's like i don't know maybe they hired me based on that and dana carvey's like no that was disturbing we didn't we didn't hire him based on that um uh but uh it's it's interesting to me. I think that even if you didn't watch the show, and I've seen some skits from it since, but um, it, it shows you that a lot of times you can have the funniest people in the world. It doesn't matter. Um, you have to you have to uh, set the tone immediately, um, and you have to have the right set of circumstances. And one of the, one of the big things that they talk about was their lead in, uh, into their show was home improvement, um, wow. home improvement, which is a big family show. Uh, people gather around and watch this with their family. It's very inoffensive. Um, and then Dana Carvey show comes on and it's nothing but like non family stuff. And they said that they were talking about how uh, they they they, uh, they they did a minute by minute uh, Nielsen uh, viewer oh, viewer no. thing or whatever, and uh, and like it was it was a lead in of six million people from Home Improvement, and then and it just shows it just go steadily down in three minutes to like almost nothing because wow. the first first uh, sketch they did was Dana Carvey doing a Bill Clinton where he said he wanted to like be both the mother and father of the of the uh of the the country and so it shows him like with all the he pulls his shirt open he's got all these nipples and there's like all these like baby kittens and dogs and and just babies like nursing on him and everything and so like it's the first sketch anybody sees of this show. And of course they're not going to turn keep stay around after watching Home Improvement. And um the funniest thing to me in this whole documentary is they show an ad for uh uh what's for ABC's lineup on the night or whatever. And like there's a it's like uh, uh <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm going to give a little bit of background that each show of the Dana Carvey show, they were trying to do kind of a joke where they'd have a new sponsor every week. So the first one was like Taco Bell, and then there was like Diet Mug Root Beer and all this other type of stuff. And uh, so they show this 
they show this uh, ABC uh, programming thing, and it was like a very special home improvement. Uh, the loss of a child is horrible or whatever, and it shows all these people like hugging and, and like, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Is a, watch home, a very special home improvement, followed by Diet Mug Roof Beer. <laughs> Diet Mug Roof Beer and the Dana Carvey Show. And, and, and they show this to Colbert, and he's just <laughs> dying he can't breathe how inappropriate this these this combo is um so i think it's a an interesting documentary to watch because it shows you you can have all the you can have everything in the world going for you you still may not you have to still have a lot of luck in this there's probably a show like this every generation right Mm -hmm. like this is reminding me of the Ben Stiller show yeah. in that it was short-lived, did not succeed, but was stacked with people who would go on to be famous. Absolutely. Same with Freaks and Geeks, which was a more traditional scripted show, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, canceled too soon, stacked with people who would go on to be super famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think it just shows, like you're, just, like you're saying, even the best intended... <laughs> best circumstances can still go awry yeah uh if the if it just doesn't all cohese yeah Yeah, you really do have to have a you really do have to have a lot of luck you have to have the right set of circumstances it doesn't matter who you have uh working for you so well i'm gonna stick right in the mid 90s um i mean your documentary is new but it about something from the mid '90s. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna go uh, with my other small recommend. Another movie I caught the other day, for the first time in a few years, "The American President." Oh yeah, um, 1995. This is a really enjoyable film. This is Rob Reiner directing, Aaron Sorkin writing. Mm-hmm. Same team behind "A Few Good Men," although this is lighter than that. Oh yeah, um, and uh, it is kind of cute now. At what? <laughs> What politics and scandals looked like, at least to Hollywood in 1996. Because the big scandal is that, first, the president is dating. And honestly, if we had a single president today who was dating, I think that would be the top story every single day. Did she sleep over? What did she wear? Mm-hmm. Home wrecker, whatever. I think that would kind of happen. Uh, but then, like, she was at a protest where people were burning bras and flags and stuff, and that's like a big scandal. That's the scandal. And mm-hmm. like today, you wouldn't even make the paper for that. Like you have to be so much more extreme today. But the reason I love this movie is it's basically a prequel to The West Wing. And I don't think they knew it when they were making it. But both The West Wing and this movie show the perfect balance of a realistic politics and an optimistic politics. Yeah. Uh, Cause in this movie, the president, you know, he acknowledges that he's, he's not going to get all the Republican votes for this one bill he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got to, you know, play give and take with certain things. There's a moment where he has to go authorize a strike in some country to retaliate for something. And, and, you know, he hates this part of the job. He's, he's the perfect perfect president in that you know he's fair he's even-minded and um i just love the the optimism of this this is what i thought politics was in 1980 when i'm five years old i thought it was all pretty fair occasional scandals but good people trying to do good Mm -hmm. um i don't have that opinion anymore um Mm -hmm. But the movie's still good. It's still, the dialogue still crackles. Michael J. Fox and David Paymer yeah. uh, are still hilarious. Um, the, the relationship between Martin Short, uh, um, Martin Short? Martin Short's not in this movie. <laughs> Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen and Michael Douglas, uh, I think is really layered and yeah. interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have a great argument there. where he, Oh, I love that. Says, you know, you you never had the balls to run basically Mm -hmm. um just really really good stuff especially i guess maybe this is like a salve right now for your political wounds Mm -hmm. if you're you know looking at today's political landscape and not liking what you see watch this movie and Mm -hmm. uh, escape for a couple hours into what it should look like at least in an optimist's Mm -hmm. heart (laughs) yeah Uh, 
So that I'm, is a movie you can find. And I gotta find out where you can where you can watch this. Am I supposed to do my homework? If you have a premium subscription, you can watch it on Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime. It's on Stars. Uh, that's probably where I saw it. Yeah, uh, premium Roku. But the American President, nineteen ninety five. Why are you always still one step behind me, AJ? Why is that? So because if I wasn't, you'd be the most popular history professor at the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> There's yeah, like so a they throw some fucks around in this PG-13 movie too. They There's like do. three they of do. them in that movie, and like yep. they got away with it. So good for them. Good for them. Um. All right. So I'm going to uh, recommend. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so watching this movie last week, I, I, I didn't really have any intention to watching it. It was just some friends were like, hey, we're going to go see this movie. Do you want to see it? And I was like, eh, sure. Why not? Um, if we are going to constantly deride Marvel for not branching out and doing something different, then it would, you know, it would be kind of hypocritical of us to be like, this movie went too far away from what they were doing and I don't like it. Hmm. Um, now, that doesn't mean I necessarily had to like it just because it did something different. That's a completely different thing. Um, uh, but I really do feel like Sam Raimi had the power here to like say i'm gonna do a movie that i really want to i really want to branch out i want to make something completely different here now i don't know where this was in script phase i don't know how scott derrickson was about to do do this i don't know anything about that all i know is is that is that sam raimi this is a sam raimi movie somehow in the middle of this like big marvel machine he somehow made his own thing in this and it is so distinctly different and that's maybe a, a, a you know a redundant set of words there but it's so distinct that i was enthralled by the directions it took mm -hmm. um it, everybody's talking about the horror aspects of this movie and that's very true he goes pretty deep into the horror stuff there's there's some very sam raimi things in this drag me to hell kind of stuff in here um and the and the just the the multiverse never gets too complex there's you know there's about i don't know four or five trips into different universes in this in this movie and the powers are well defined the uh the the young girl who has the pa has has only one power and that is to uh move between multiverses that's all she Ooh. and she doesn't know how to do it how would somebody like Dr. Strange uh, react to somebody with this power? How would somebody like Scarlet Witch played, played great. Elizabeth Olsen's getting all out of props and she should uh, in this. This is a, an extension of her WandaVision uh, performance that everybody loved. Um, and, uh, and so it's one of these, it's one of these type of movies where I can see why, there are a lot of people who are upset about this. I can understand why it dropped uh, so steeply in its second weekend. Um, but, and it goes to show, look, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Marvel deciding we need to make everything samey and we're going to fire these directors who try to go anywhere different with it and all that. I'm not a big fan of that. I think you have to grow. I think I don't, I'm not a big fan of the last Jedi, but ryan johnson tried something there and i madly respect that yeah uh you cannot keep being beholden to the same old shit over and over and over again eventually you are going to tire your audience out yep and yes this movie may have not been the movie that uh people continue will continue to want to watch over the years this may not be their their bag really when it comes down to it but you got to try something. Otherwise, you're just watching the same old shit over and over and over again. And I already got tired of it. And I was this is a breath of fresh air for me. So, 
Um, I am all in on this one. So um, I had, I have, there are, I'm sure I'll watch it again and I'll be like, yeah, okay. It wasn't as good as I like was when I first watched it, but I admire the hell out of Sam Raimi for making something different. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I have heard more mixed reaction across the entire spectrum on this movie than maybe any other Marvel movie before, but you have made me interested again, sir. And I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And that is knowing that I am spoiled all to hell about oh, sure. this movie. <clears throat> sure. Um, and this time it wasn't some jerk ass doing it on purpose. It was Twitter not getting their shit together in time. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I'm glad to hear that you liked it so much. And I'm glad to hear there's so much Raimi in there. That, I think, even if the movie's a B- minus or a C+, plus, I'll still enjoy the Raimi stuff. Oh yeah, has his fingerprints all over it, and like, and and just a unique story too. What you know, this is what, this is what sort of this is a real Civil War type movie to me. This is one mm. where the actual, uh, the actual wants and needs of the protagonist changing one to a protagonist and one to an antagonist makes sense. Makes more sense than it did in Civil War. Mm. Um, and so. Uh, so that it, it you know, you you sit it's it's interesting to empathize with a uh with a an antagonist so much because you know she's been such a protagonist she was started yeah. off as an antagonist and then became a protagonist and now she's an antagonist again but you're sitting there Where going we go from here yeah so now I'm like oh I you know I totally understand where she's coming from it's a little bit of a ripoff of Cloverfield Paradox just a little bit just a tiny bit cloverfield paradox but um but in in the end i really really enjoyed it so all right well i think that brings us to this week's big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed that's right the big recommend for this episode is 1999's The Insider, starring Michael Mann, uh, starring Michael Mann, ha! directed <laughs> by Michael Mann, starring Al Pacino and Russell Crowe. And um, this is a movie that came out in 1999, and because 1999 was so rad, yeah, I think this movie got overlooked a little bit. Uh, I can't remember if this got, it may have gotten nominated though for Best Picture or something like that. Um um i can't remember if it did i'm gonna look it up real quick um because that's good radio and good it is live stuff uh nominated for seven oscars actually for and for best picture and best director um so yeah it got it got some oscar love but i don't think people remember it when you say 1999 you're not you're not gonna eventually just think of this movie but yeah uh it's another one of the many that came out in this year that's great um i think the insider shows us much like how broadcast news was sort of uh uh telling us back in the 80s that the that the that the business side of news has really sort of i mean it doesn't say that in the text but the business side of news has really fucked us here in the u.s because the media doesn't really work off of what people need to know they're working off what people they want people to hear and what will keep them tuned in and the billionaire who owns them wants them to write yeah exactly uh there's a point even where al pacino says uh who's got a free press steve tish has got a free press and uh and uh and so uh, so yeah, the 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 movie is is about uh, a chemist played by Russell Crowe who is fired from Brown and Williamson, a tobacco company. Uh, what he knows is that they put a drug inside of cigarettes that keep people wanting to come back to to smoke more. The you know as the discussion is between uh, Lowell Bergman, played by Al Pacino. And the rest of his producers and everything is that, you know, the news that he has isn't that cigarettes are bad for you. That's not news. Everybody knows right. that cigarettes are bad for you. But what would be something that would really hurt these guys? Well, if they're putting something in their product that makes people come back as an addiction, then that's real, real news there. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting too. And this, I didn't really notice this the first few times that I watched this because I, I knew the story so much that I didn't really think about how, how Lowell Bergman ends up talking to, uh, David, uh, uh, Jeffrey Wigand. Um, and, and it's because he gets some sort of, he gets a delivery uh, at his home, uh, from Philip Morris about the burn rates of paper or something like that in his investigative, uh, techniques or whatever, he's calling around trying to figure out who's can make sense of this. And eventually he ends up on Jeffrey Wigan. When he calls, he calls his, his, uh, his house and it's his wife played by Diane Venora, who was in heat, the previous Michael Mann movie. Um, Diane Venora tells, tells him, you know, he goes, would he, I'm, I'm with, he goes, I'm with 60 minutes. I'd like to talk with your husband. She immediately thinks it must be because of what he knows about Brown and Williamson. And so she goes, he's not interested in talking to you. And he goes, well, you don't even know what I want to talk to you about. And she goes, <laughs> don't want to know. So he's instantly curious about this and eventually calls Wigan and Wigan acts very suspicious and saying, I don't want to talk to you. Have and the reason why he's so scared is because he signed a confidentiality agreement uh, that if and that if he breaks it, then he loses his uh, insurance and he loses his half pay and he loses mm -hmm. all this type of stuff. So obviously there's a very big reason why he doesn't want to talk to Lowell Bergman. But Bergman is just all he is is wants to know about this Philip Morris thing. But now he's like, whoa, this guy has something really juicy. I love also the fact that this movie paints a lot of different stories. What's going on around the world at this time. Uh, you know, the, the very first thing is, and this movie gets you right in, by the way, two and a half yeah. hours. It gets right in. As soon as the credits roll, it's like, doom, 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 doom. And it's like, uh, it's just a, there's a piece of cloth over the, over the camera. And that's basically representing, uh, Lowell Bergman's trip. Uh, to to talk to the the leader of Hezbollah, and and uh you know the 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 they're, it's a they want to talk to him after a bombing of the U.S. embassy, and and uh, the very first they 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 he wants to dictate all the questions and all that, and he goes, we don't do that, you know we yeah. we you know that we're we know you know that we're not uh, biased or anything like that. We, we run a great show, so you can either take it or not. And they eventually agree on it. And Mike Wallace, once they come in, Mike Wallace, the first question he asks of the Hezbollah guy is, are you a terrorist? <laughs> Very first question, before they even warmed up into anything. And then there's the O.J. Simpson trial. There yep. is the Unabomber. There is a lot of different things going on all at once that Lowell Bergman, he's not just a, just working on this cigarette story. He's working on a million different things all at once yeah. in this. It just goes to show that there just never ends on, on all of this. So anyway, uh, what did you think of this movie? Okay, so this is my first time watching since I quit smoking, uh -huh. which gave me a new view of the evils of these companies. Now, when this comes out in 1999, I'd been smoking for maybe three years, mm -hmm. maybe four. Mm -hmm. I was in that fuck you. I won't do what you told me mode. I would make jokes about how it wasn't bad for me. I was, a, I was an idiot. I was far from thinking this movie. I, I didn't connect this movie to my life at all, even mm -hmm. though I was a smoker. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm four plus years of cleaner lungs, free from smoking, uh, this movie made me angry. Um, even if some of it's fictionalized, you know, yeah. the general idea that they, there's a, there's a section where one guy in the newsroom meeting just goes off explaining how these guys never lose. They mm -hmm. bat a thousand. They will stew you into oblivion until you are bankrupt. They never lose. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> And I believe that about them. And I know, obviously now they knew what they were putting in there. Um, but I really enjoyed this movie this time through. Hadn't seen it in maybe eight, nine years. Um, I'm so impressed with both the lead actors' relative subdued performance. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of scenes where Pacino gets his <laughs> shout on. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, 
But, you know, this is uh, coming off of Gladiator for Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. right? No, no, it's just before Gladiator. Just before Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a complete polar opposite kind of performance. This is a, a very subdued, quiet man. A lot of his dialogue is not dialogue. It's just watching him think Mm-hmm. Uh, and work through stuff. It's really a good performance. Everybody is in this. I forgot how good this cast is. No, oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I made a few notes here that I want to make sure I touch on. Mm-hmm. That scene with the meeting where the guy's explaining how the tobacco companies never lose, and they're talking about Wygand and should they run this interview, do this interview. And I just thought it was really interesting that Wygand's life is in the balance. He's literally being stalked and harassed. And they're just having a casual lunch. There's even a scene where Mike Wallace makes a comment and then says, pass the milk. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't think that is on accident. I think that's there to show a little bit of that privilege of distance, uh, which I think Lowell, the character, Al Pacino's character, eventually throughout the film, you know, breaks through that because it's clear he cares about Jeffrey, um, you know, especially by the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, there's nothing like Mike Wallace going off on the suits who edited him. Oh, that was that fantastic. One scene where he's like, well, I don't know what he says, but he's basically like, you well, have balls to edit me? Gina Gershon, who has, has come in as a CBS corporate and is telling them they can't run this this uh, segment, and, uh, and they're talking about this stuff like tortious interference, where apparently if you're a third party that tells someone or compels someone to withdrew, uh, to reveal information in a confidentiality agreement, you are just as liable as the person giving the information. Uh, but you know, there's a- extra layers to it because CBS is up for, up for uh, sale to, uh, I can't remember which cigarette company. Uh, it Westinghouse. Was. It was Westinghouse. And, and, uh, I don't even think they're a cigarette company. I think they're just a huge conglomerate. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and so there, so there, so there's uh, the sale is in is in peril because this other company doesn't want to touch another company that could get sued into oblivion. And she's saying that you know it's, it's if by the end of litigation, Brown and Williamson could uh, could uh, 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 own this company. Uh, so she's going in pretending to be a friend, basically. We're all on the same side here. We're on this, blah, 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 blah. And then Mike Wallace is very proud of his... Now, of course, Mike Wallace, the real Mike Wallace, had a lot of issues with this movie. I don't blame him, but, uh, you know, if, if, if they didn't ask him... If they didn't ask him what his you know what really happened and they don't they didn't want to tell his side and they wanted to make him this kind of this I'm going along with corporate too and whatever, but... But he tells he tells CBS News he gives he gives an interview with CBS News saying basically saying this is all the stuff that you're going to miss in this edited version of our interview tonight, and all it all it comes down to is will there be information that they won't be that the people will not be able to see tonight? And he goes he shows him going yes, and that's it, <laughs> and that's it, and uh, and uh, and so. Gina Gershon, who keeps who keeps going, Mike, 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 all the way through this, never calls him Mr. Wallace or anything. She's like, she's like Mike, and he goes, he goes, Mike, Mike. How about Mr. Wallace? He's like, just because we work in the same bit, the same company, doesn't mean we work in the same business. And yeah. and then and and then he talks to Stephen Tobolowski too, who's the other the other guy, the other kind of the villain in this is like who told you that you had the requisite skills to edit me and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so yeah i loved all that um uh but yeah it, it just i mean it, it goes to show it, news organizations just are not independent anymore they're, they're trying to make money and it's it's uh, you know it's sort of a um it, everybody loses that way and it's where why we've gotten to where we've gotten like I said, Broadcast News was one of the first movies I ever saw that had that, and I hope I'm not stealing your your double feature, but we'll get to that in a minute, but um, Broadcast News, very first scene of that movie is talking about how, uh, you know, Holly Hunter's talking about how this is the story that ran uh, on this news channel, and it's like it's some- Domino's. Yeah, it's Domino's. <laughs> It's fucking dominoes. And uh and he goes and she goes, Is this news? Everybody's walking out. And uh and someone someone goes, Yeah, yeah, thank God it yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad it is, or something like yeah. that, just basically saying that's what what she hopes news is. 
and and it's just and it's not i know that i know that there's a, a need to be in entertained and not feel bad or or i guess feel bad but still be riveted to watch um i know that there's there's that kind of thing but we're we're missing out on that type of stuff and that's what this movie even though that's not in the like that's not like the main thing that they're going after in this um it, it it is a it is a byproduct of what we've been seeing. You can almost call the tobacco companies in this movie the mentor to the news organization, who's like the apprentice at mm-hmm. being evil and and money minded, right? Because mm-hmm. tobacco companies aren't even there's not even debates going on anymore. They're not only like let's make money and kill people. They're like let's do it faster. Let's mm-hmm. put more of that shit in there. And then the news companies are like, should we or shouldn't we? But you know. We already know where they're going to be 20 years down the road. Uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to point out that I was struck by this time was how opposite side of the coin this guy is to Walter White from Breaking Bad. Mm. They both worked for as scientists for a big company and were unceremoniously pushed out, then turned to teaching chemistry mm-hmm. because of their passion for it. Yeah. And one of them turned all the way evil and Wygan just no matter how many fucking potholes he hits he just keeps driving straight to the good i'm gonna yeah. do the right thing every my wife is mad my kids are gone they're mm-hmm. trying to kill me i've been slandered all over the whole u.s but i'm still gonna do the right thing like mm-hmm. he's the polar opposite but they have that shared i love that scene of him teaching uh, yeah uh just because you see just like with that with Walter White, you see the passion for the chemistry there, um, which I think is kind of well, what propels the the character. I think the chemistry love is what informs his sense of right and wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I was struck by a Breaking Bad comparison. I'm happy to see everyone in the comments trying to steal my thunder yeah, on the super yeah. secret double feature i uh i you know this is one of these movies that i could go we could go to scene scene after scene after scene of how many great <laughs> things are going on but i do want to mention also bruce mcgill in this movie because Ooh. um he and also just the lawyering that wygan gets like i don't think we get to see this very often in movies uh the lawyers really want him to testify so that this interview can get out uh well and they want him to testify because they have a completely different kind of litigation going on in mississippi uh it's a different kind of area it's not about the addiction it's just more about um it's about i think it's about insurance uh like uh cigarettes yeah something like that it's something something uh in a different zone in a different zone but uh, they still would like his testimony, and it would help him with the case, but it would also allow CBS to play the interview. And they tell him, they tell him right up front, he goes, he goes, there's a problem with you testifying, and that is once you step back into Kentucky, they can arrest you and put you in jail. Now, this is also an interesting, too, thing, like, you know, like the privileged white male He's like, how does one go to jail is what he said. He says at one point. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. If you don't know that world, then what is, what is that like? Right. What is that like to say, to do the right thing and be in, and be in jail? Um, but they tell him that up front says, we would really like your testimony, but you should know all the consequences to this. And you don't see that very often. I don't think in movies at all. And when it gets to the point where he has to make the decision, there's this period where he's just out uh, looking out at the water and he's trying to make the right decision. And finally Lowell Bergman shows up and and he goes, all right, what, what's the, what's the decision? And he goes, every time I, you know, he keeps thinking about what's the right thing to do. It just doesn't come. it, It just comes down to the fact that he, he needs to do what's right and and screw the consequences is what it comes down to. It's like what you said. He goes, okay, fuck it. So they go yep. back and they go to do this deposition, and 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 Bruce McGill is like uh, is trying to get him to say that it acts like a drug. It acts like a drug. And the the counsel for uh, I, I guess Big Tobacco is like he's like he's like you have signed a confidentiality agreement. You are not to answer that question. 
and goes, that means you don't talk. And he's like, yeah. we have rights here. He's like, we have rights here. And Bruce McGill's like, oh, we have rights and lefts and middles. So what? You don't get to instruct anything here. And then the guy's like, does this little like smirk on his face or whatever. He's like, well, thanks, smirk off your face. This is not North Carolina, nor South Carolina, nor Kentucky. And uh, he's like, Mr. Wygan's deposition will be part of this record, you know. <laughs> and, it's, and then it cuts to the court reporter lady, and she's like going, looking left and then right <laughs> yeah. and then left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, so I, I, that Bruce McGill and all the lawyering going on in there is great. Um, uh, and by the way, what about the guy who plays James Snodgrass in Quiz Show showing up in this movie? Yeah, yeah as, as another like, <laughs> like creepy kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Like I said, we could probably spend another uh, twenty minutes or so talking about scenes we loved in The Insider. It's got it's that kind of movie. There's just nothing but great scenes all the way through it. Um, and, uh, and this is, this is one of the last great Al Pacino. I mean, there's, there's some decent Al Pacino that has come out after this, but this is the first time this is in the nineties. This is one of the first times you're going to see him in sort of a reserve. I mean, Donnie Brasco was obviously one of his best uh, in the nineties, but only a couple of times does he get into that whole, like, you know, you know, are you a newsman or a businessman? You know, all these, this, the, you know, the, he's like, uh, when he when he tells him, no, you fucked you. Stop inverting yeah. stuff. You know that type of stuff. There's a lot of there's some Al Pacino bombast in this, but it, it, all in all, it's pretty well reserved. So anyway, uh, I think it's time that we get to your super secret double feature. And I hope, I hope, not because I hate you, Chat, but I hope that you have a different movie than Chat. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Yes, uh, so far no one in chat has named the movie I'm going to choose or even the ones I strongly considered. Uh, you guys probably know by now I either choose a double feature by, like, tone mm-hmm. or by theme or by topic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I were to go by theme... I almost chose Donnie Brasco. Oh yeah, uh, for the idea of the system letting down the guy who's just trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I almost went if we were going to go topical. I almost went Citizen Four, the documentary about Ed Snowden mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. hotel room. Yeah, um, because it's straight up an informer. I almost went the informant. The exact oh, opposite of yeah. a, of a I Jeffrey I actually thought Wigand. of the informant during this, too. Um, but I have decided to go uh, with the Rainmaker. Oh, um, the Rainmaker. Good specifically one. Specifically because of how it exposes a huge corporation's true evil. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically that scene where he has the mother up on the stand read one of the letters the insurance company sent her after she kept asking them to cover this treatment. And the Mm -hmm. guy says, you must be stupid, stupid, Mm -hmm. stupid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you later find out from Virginia Madsen that they had a whole section in the manual that's not public that told them deny every claim. And math tells us only a certain number of people will be persistent enough and that will keep our costs down. Um, so much the way that the insider exposes the true evils of big tobacco, if you weren't aware of them already, um, I think the rainmaker exposes the true evils 
of insurance companies. And you also get a really great subdued young Matt Damon mm-hmm. um, and Claire Danes, young Claire Danes. Um, this is a very well acted, solid film, um, and that would be my double feature. That was uh, that was the movie that came out the summer before Goodwill Hunting came out. So people were still yeah. not entirely sure who Matt Damon was at the time. Uh, but that was like a good stepping stone into Goodwill Hunting because Grainmaker was a pretty decent hit. I don't know if it was a huge hit, but it was a pretty decent one, and that was Francis Ford Coppola too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but who just uh, cast Adam Driver in his next movie? Yep, yep. Oh yeah. Hey. Yep. John right, Voight. So- John Voight in this movie. He's in that too, in that movie as well. Oh, the John Voight. John Voight. Just driving around in John Voight's car. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, so uh, next week's homework. Uh, for Recotopia episode 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be Hell or High Water. Yep. Um, this is uh, Chris Pine and Ben Foster and Jeff Bridges uh, in a movie I have raved about before, but still too few people have seen it. And uh, I think you guys uh, should be exposed to it so that we can dive deep into its many, many layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> let me see if I can find where that is. Got to do show prep, Jeremy. <laughs> um, I mean, you can find it in my Blu-ray collection, but oh, it's on Netflix. That's groovy. Um, <clears throat> that's probably as wide a distribution for our listenership as any other service. So, yeah. Hell or High Water is next week's homework. Yep, and that's an excellent movie. Can't wait to revisit it. I think uh, I watched it last when we did a best of 2015 uh, thing, and. Uh, and so it's been since then since I've seen it. So I'll be looking forward to going back and, and looking at that. So, uh, All right. Questions? I believe, it, I believe we have time for a couple of questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. First mm-hmm. question. What is your favorite and least favorite fact about a specific movie? Um, <clears throat> hit us. Yeah, I, I, I mean, generally... <laughs> It's it's going to be like, for me, it's going to be like you heard about some sort of abusive techniques that the director did or whatever on a movie that you love or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, it's funny. I was looking. I found, I found something horrible about Wizard of Oz, and then I was like, okay, what would be my favorite thing about that? And it and I actually had to sit there and look at a whole bunch of like facts about Wizard of Oz and found like five or six other really bad things about the Wizard of Oz. Like they didn't treat people very well back in the day. There was a yeah. point like where uh, Judy Garland laughed at one of the actors getting slapped or something, and so Victor Fleming, who was the director of the time, went and slapped Judy Garland, who was sixteen. Oh my god! And oh then, my god! And and then. Uh, apparently that shows up in one of her takes about halfway through the movie that she was just recovering from, basically. And, like, uh, Fleming apparently, like, uh, was very torn up about it. This is another thing that's kind of fucked up. He was torn up about it, saying, oh, my God, I hope this doesn't ruin our relationship, blah, 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 blah. Judy Garland heard it, and then she was, like, okay with it or something because he overheard. And it just seems so weird and fucked up. And, yeah. uh, and but uh, one of the facts that I noticed that was in a lot of different things was the fact that the dog who played Toto got paid more than the actors who played in the Lollipop Guild. That was a bad fact for Wizard of Oz. Um Apparently, he got paid $125, the dog that played Toto, per day, I guess, and the actors got paid $50 a day. Um, and uh, so I was like, all right, let's try to find some good stuff on Wizard of Oz and like just kept running into like, you know, of course, they had all the... <laughs> They had all that stuff about, you know, the using the actual aluminum paint that Buddy Ebsen couldn't breathe or whatever because he had an uh, allergic reaction to it. And then he lost the role because he couldn't do it. And there was they used asbestos for the snow in the in the in that one scene. They used asbestos. And I'm like, God damn, is there anything good about the Wizard of Oz, the making of the Wizard of Oz? Um, But the the effect of the tornado is uh is is one of my favorite facts about it 
Uh, they use this muslin stocking uh, with dirt and dust swirling around it to uh, to uh, create the the effect of the tornado in the movie. So I thought that was really cool. You think about a movie back in 1939 trying to get an effect of a tornado, and that's how they did it, and it's really well done for a movie that's you know 80 something years old at this point. Uh, so um, that was a that's a fun fact. But man, oh man, were there a lot of transgressions in making the Wizard of Oz? Jeez, uh, that sounds awful. Um, I'm gonna go off book. But recently, my brother and I uh, sat with my nephew, his oldest child, and watched Alien and mm. Aliens. Ah, yes. And I've probably mentioned this before in other incarnations of other podcasts, but. My favorite fact is also my least favorite fact, and that is in Alien that the director and the actor did not tell any of the other actors that the <laughs> Alien was going to pop out. Right, of right. And I think that is both awesome and horrifying. Mm. Like I think that is exactly on the line about behavior that gets something out of your actors due to spontaneity, but is borderline emotionally abusive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, the only reason I don't push it all the way is that those actors, no matter how surprised they were, none of them could possibly have thought that was a real alien. Yeah. And their brain almost instantly had to go, as somebody who did a lot of shitty improv back in my college years, you adjust pretty quick on the fly. Mm -hmm. to, you know you're acting. You know cameras are rolling. So you're startled. And then the rest of that scene, I think, is them going, oh, he wanted us to be scared. I'm just going to play into it. Mm -hmm. But still, if I were one of those actors, I probably would walk over and have words with the director for yeah. warned me that was going to happen. He's like, hey, look, I'm an actor. You know, like, you, you're, you'd be like... Uh You'd be like the guy in Die Hard, played by Hart Bachner, where you're like, "Hey, Hans, this is radio. I mean, it's not television. I can't. I'm like, what am I, a method actor? You know? Yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> um, over on the uh, chat, we have uh, favorite uh, from JC Davis's Kate Winslet flash Leo prior to filming Titanic, and mm -hmm. then least favorite is James Cameron did Molly Brown dirty. Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then mm -hmm. one. Well, he had uh, help. Nick, yeah, Nick says uh, best and worst thing about watching Kevin, Kevin Spacey movies is that Kevin Spacey is in them. Yep, yep, yep. That's totally true. I mean, it's a horrible human being with great performances. There you go. Um, yeah. uh, Tarantino spitting in his actor's face. That would be a bad one, sure. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, Kubrick and The Shining. That's, yeah, that was, that was the thing about The Shining. Uh, I, I, I thought about that one, too, how they made... But the problem is, is that I, I, I argue that Shelley Duvall's performance is not very good in The Shining. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, all that work that he did to try to make her feel this way, it, <laughs> she ended up not doing a very good job, really. I, yeah. I don't think, and that's I don't I don't put that on her. No, so. no. All right. Uh, next question: What has something that's largely innocuous? When has something that's largely innocuous bothered you or pulled you out of what for you is otherwise a good or even great movie? For example, and this is a cinema sin for sure. Mm -hmm. In First Man, it bothers me to no end that Ryan Gosling is notably shorter than Corey Stoll and Pablo Schreiber, yet Armstrong and Lovell were the same height and Aldrin is shorter than both. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Knowing that takes me right out of uh, of yeah. that. But, um... You know, there's a. Have you, when's the last time you saw Poltergeist? The la, the the first oh, Poltergeist. Man. When we send it, probably. Yeah, if yeah. We send it. Well, well, when I were I I had not seen it up until the I I had seen it a couple of times before before we send it, and then when we send it, there was a there's a section that we actually send in it because it was so jarring. There's a moment in that you remember the scene where Craig T. Nelson comes back and like there's been there's been paranormal activity in the kitchen, the chairs moved across the the the, the floor and all that. Well, he comes back and Joe Beth Williams is trying to tell him this is what happened while you were gone, and and she's in the and she goes and she's like and it's kind of like this like blah 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 and it cuts in the middle of her sentence. Huh. straight to Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams at the neighbor's house in the midst of another conversation completely. I mean, it's it's like an art film gone wrong type of edit that they throw in Poltergeist. And, um, and uh, I read up on this, and the reason why it was cut so abruptly was that 
there's dialogue that comes later where they where she wants to go to Pizza Hut and Craig T. Nelson says, I hate Pizza Hut. And huh. and, <laughs> and Pizza Hut got wind of it and said and I guess got enough mad about it and had enough power to override fucking Steven Spielberg, the producer on this movie. <laughs> the producer. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, I mean who knows? I mean who knows? He he may have also directed it too. Who knows? But Toby Hooper and all these people, they just like they 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 were able to say, "Hey, we hate that," and they cut. They are able to successfully chop that. They're they're successfully able to chop out a piece of the movie without any like pickup or anything, like not even a cutaway to something else. Like it makes no sense whatsoever. But anyway, that takes me out of the movie for a bit. I uh, <laughs> that's a funny story, Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. Um, Nightmare Alley, which I uh, small recommended last week and uh, have now seen almost three times all the way through. I'm, I'm really digging this movie. But I there's one element of it that I don't get that keeps me up at night. The movie opens with Bradley Cooper getting off a train and there's a circus in this town. Mm-hmm. And he stumbles over to the circus and ends up getting a job to help them tear down the circus because mm-hmm. they're about to move up the road. And I'm like, okay, this is a traveling circus. And they move up the road 20 miles, they say, and they merge with another circus that's there. And then they're just there forever. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they never travel again. David Strathairn <laughs> lives there with Kate Blanchett in this house and everybody in the circus knows that. Yeah. So it's almost like they only the only reason the tr- circus travels at all is to get Cooper's character a job to get him hooked into the circus life mm-hmm. because they go up the road and then they're there for like years. Yeah, that's they're weird. For, that is really weird. Yeah, they never go anywhere else. They never go back twenty miles to the other place. Like and e- I just, even an explanation as to like they're regional or something like that, where they they go twenty minutes somewhere, twenty miles away, just for a special thing, a special holiday or something, and then come back. They don't even really explain that even. So that is that, no. It's obviously yeah, it's a plot device to get them get him yeah. in. There. Yeah. So anyway, well, I, even my brother when we were watching the movie, I turned to him and I was like. What? Is this circus traveling or stationary? He was like, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. All right, let's do at least one more. All um, right. What is a movie you just can't finish, no matter how much you tried? Well, you know, this is the same kind of question in, in a way as the ones that you walked out on, right? Um, mm-hmm. I typically, when I start a movie, will finish it. Um, it doesn't matter how bad it is and I will struggle through th- some, some really bad ones sometimes, but it's, it's, it's that whole thing like that old, uh, South park where, you know, uh, Cartman hears the first bars of come sail away and he has to sing the whole song afterwards every time. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, so yeah, the, uh, so I have never, I do not have a movie that I've started and have not been able to finish the only movie that I've ever walked out on and did never finish, but I've never tried to finish is dungeons and dragons. And I have talked about that before. Uh, <laughs> I watched the first reel. I was working at Hollywood 27. We watched the first reel or two of dungeons and dragons. And I was like, man, I'm tired. This movie's terrible. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And that is stop this and just let it run through the, through the night without me even watching it. And, and they can, uh, they can, uh, actually I may have just cut, I may have cut what was had already played and put it back in the middle and told the people in the morning to make sure that they watched, made sure that it went through. Okay. Uh, but, I was just like, I'm not watching the rest of this. And I it just, did, just didn't, <laughs> and I still haven't, so. Yeah, I, uh, you know, if, uh, if if my big trigger happens in the middle of a movie, I won't ever go back and finish it. I won't even try, and that's happened a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of movies I've walked out of, uh, that I'm sure I've mentioned at least one of these before, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's Simply Irresistible. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Magical Crab Cooking Assistant movie. Mm-hmm. Um, walked out before that was done mm-hmm. uh i walked out before batman v superman was done uh, mm-hmm. and i never went back although one of those. although i say mm-hmm. i say that 
you, you you did watch i think up till the funeral right like you walked out before the funeral was done yes yeah. yes so you watched most of that at least so even simply irresistible i believe it was the last scene because the the conflict is over and it cuts to this dance and it shows the fucking crab in a tuxedo and i literally said that's it and mm-hmm. i got up and i walked out now we, there was only three other people in the auditorium yeah but, um <clears throat> yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I don't think i've walked out of anything in the theater halfway through mm-hmm. um but dungeons and dragons i i, I would have I'm sure. and, and look I, I and honestly it may not be the worst movie i've ever watched uh you know i mean it, it's i i've seen probably worse movies it's just the with the circumstances involved uh being that horrible as it was and then and then me being super tired and not really wanting to put up with it it was it's a it was a rare occurrence like i've I sat through every U of Bowl movie that I that ever came into Hollywood twenty seven. I I watched every one of those things, um, so I've seen probably worse. But Dungeons and Dragons, I could not I could not finish. So we got a comment here from Josh that says Mission Impossible two makes me want to punch a dolphin. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He also says he couldn't finish the cell. Uh, because nothing ever happened. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a lot of cool visuals, but not a lot of plot in that. Movie. JC uh-huh. is talking about, uh, um, you know, wonder if the guy Chris heard about fucking corny shit. That was Miami Vice, by the way. Was when uh, was <laughs> when I was watching Miami Vice and uh, an usher who came, had come in to watch it with me uh, got up and said fucking corny shit and walked out. <laughs> and I doubt he went back. I doubt it. I very highly doubt it. <laughs> um so all right well i think that is probably gonna wrap it up for this episode yep yep of Recotopia. i think we want to once again thank our live chat live viewers absolutely um, we appreciate your being here and your time and your input to the show um <clears throat> and uh your homework for next week is hell or high water which you can find on netflix uh any final thoughts uh no, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing uh, Hell or High Water again. Is all I think. I think it's a. Uh, it's, I've seen it three times, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it a fourth. That's the kind of that kind of movie. So anyway, yeah. Uh, thank you all in chat once again. Yes, again. Um, uh, we will see you next time. So see ya. Goodbye. Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com It's like I think at this point it's like going either go it's like going for fourth down in the NFL, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. If you succeed, you're a genius. If you don't mm-hmm. make it, you're an idiot. Every single time. There's no there's no failing. Maybe once I've heard an announcer go, Well, they didn't make it, but that was still the right call. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's just yeah. about the outcome. So It yeah. kind of is. Yeah, and, and there's really even when you get the even when you get the nerds come on and 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 say, well, you know, it's got this kind of whatever, and they don't have right. Nobody has a real answer. I think I think there are some clear cases to me, like you know, when Harbaugh went for it for went for two with the Ravens last year, like two yeah. times towards the end of the like. Why is going for the win there? Why does that give you a better chance to win than going into overtime and winning a coin toss? Right. I don't understand why that why that's the why not just go ahead and kick the extra point and then you you take your chances in overtime. You're taking your chances going for two. So I don't I've never understood that kind of rationale. Like, yeah, I understand I understand the, the nerdy part of it, and I'm all about the nerdy part of it, but mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm sitting there thinking yeah, the other team has Peyton Manning. They can run the clock down. They can get down there in a blink of an eye because it's Peyton Manning. But wouldn't you rather try to prevent them from getting to the 30-yard, your own 30, than just giving it to them? And I guess, you know, if you get it, you get the first down, then that ends the game and you don't have to worry about it. That was always Belichick in my mind, at least as a Colts fan in the Peyton Manning era, is that he always wanted to step on our throats. He always Mm. wanted to... 
If we were on the ground, he was going to kick us. If he had already kicked us, he was going to step on our face. Mm -hmm. Like, he wanted to hurt us. And uh, the few times we overcame them was bliss. I tell you, bliss. I got a box of edible arrangement as a gift. Mm -hmm. And it's like chocolate-covered strawberries. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that business. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's lovely. It's a lovely gift. Mm-hmm. I'm not. You're never going to get really fresh strawberries this way. Mm-hmm. That's true, right? Like, <clears throat> and that's obviously not the point. But every time, this is maybe the third or fourth time somebody has over my lifetime gifted me one of these edible arrangements. Uh, usually, it's like a bunch of fruit on a stick. It's got barely a little chocolate on it. Like, and, but it's always like day old or two day old mm-hmm. fruit mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they have to get it from wherever they get it from. And then they have to dip it and drizzle it and pretty it and p- put it in a package and wrap it up. And then they have to, in this instance, they called me to see if I was home to receive delivery of it. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been, what, do they bring it the next day? Oh, it's even fresher. Right, like, <clears throat> right. F- flowers at least live for a couple of weeks, maybe mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. But strawberries is something, like if I'm going to eat a strawberry, I kind of want to pick it right out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, maybe chill it for an hour and then go yeah anyway that's a business model i don't understand yeah i don't i don't quite get that either i mean yeah what what's the limit too what's the limit to when they can deliver it and um what if i'm on vacation nobody told me it was coming yeah and then do they just give it to somebody else and make remake mine in a week (laughs) 